Uh, well, yes, uh, so last week, I think you guys, if you guys were in the sermon uh, that I preached, uh, I preached out of Malachi. It had been like several years, man, I think that was like five or six years since I had uh, had taught through Malachi, and uh, Tim had asked me to, to teach a few times, so I was like, well, I think I'll just pick up from where we finished off. Plus, I never, when I started my study of Malachi, I never actually like finished teaching through it, so... Um, so I wanted to go through that, and there's a couple, a couple kind of key things that I feel like uh, Malachi hits on um, that resonate with uh, just people of the church. Um, some of the things that the, the Israelites were delinquent on um, uh, were unfaithful too, but uh, as a reminder of God's um, patience and holiness and even what His heart desires and, and how that reflects in uh, His commands to His people. So turn to Malachi, um, and... Uh, We'll, we'll, we're going to be in chapter 2 today, um, but just as kind of a recap, uh, chapter 1, we skipped over the first several verses, I didn't, I didn't cover that last week, but chapter 1, you know, the first five verses, God really, you know, says, um, I'll just read that, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, he says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. And this is really a picture of of, uh, you know, God saying, you know, I have loved you. And you can see the heart of the, the, the people um, when they reply. He says, you know, I know that you ask, well, how have you even loved us? And he says, I've loved you because I've sustained you. I've kept you going. And uh, remember, that, uh, historically, um, well, if you don't, if you weren't at the sermon last, last week, uh, historically, uh, this is at a time when the Israelites have been allowed to come back. And so they were, you know, God, all, you know, Ever since Abraham, I will, I will build a nation through you. And you, know, you get the picture of Abraham saying, like, well, how, how's that going to happen? I, I don't have any kids, and my wife, she's old, and, and I'm old, and my wife's old, you know, and, and uh, we don't have any kids. Did we mention that? And, and I'm old, you know, and so it's like you guys see the same thing. And, and ever through that, they try to, like, kind of work through the system and do different things, but God says, you know, I'll bless you uh, with this one person. And then through that person... I'll build you into a nation. And so you read the Old Testament and you kind of get that. And then they finally make it into the promised land in Joshua. And then, you know, they finally get a king and they finally seem like things are established. And then, you know, the country splits apart, you know, three kings in, <laughs> right? They have, their, they have their king, they have their country, and all of a sudden shattered. And then it's just a struggle. One good king, five bad kings, you know, another good king. Until they're just taken away and then left to ruins. And so... Um, but God was faithful to them, allowed them to come back into, you know, the promised land, allowed these pagan rulers to say, why don't you go back, here's some money, you know, why don't you rebuild. And so if they have, you know, and there's times in our lives where like we've been torn down or we've hit, like, we've, like things seem like they're going well and then we struggle again and God reminds us of his faithfulness. And so we kind of, that's kind of where they're at, except they're now in this point of like, you know, coasting again. They're 100 years after they've been allowed to come to rebuild. They're back in their nation. Um, but they have, you know, they're just struggling spiritually. And we see like a lot of different ways. And so God just reaches out and says, first thing, right off the bat, I have loved you. 
And how has he loved you? He's like, I, I, you're, you're still going. You're still here. You're still making it through. And uh, if you look at all these other countries, these other countries, like they may say, and, and Edom is one that you can look at. It's, you know, through the descendants of Esau, but there was a whole story where the Israelites were passing through Edom, and they said, no, we won't let you pass through, and God judges them for that. And so, so God shows that, you know, that the Edomites, they'll never become a prominent nation. But Israel, you are my people. And so he says that at the beginning. He says, even though, though I have loved you, and, and we kind of looked at this, this last week, um, there's, like, there's lots of things that you're doing that just don't show me that you're following me. And God has to get, you know, um, stern with them. And so the first thing that he addresses in verses 5 through 14 of chapter 1 is that the priests were, were bringing these deficient offerings to them. You know, what we understand is like, you know, when kids, you know, bring gifts, you know, they do their best. They put, they, they make these cards, they make these whatever, and, and they're not going to be perfect. But that's, that's, you see in those like imperfect cards, like their heart though, of what they desire. But this is kind of the opposite, you know. Uh, they're bringing gifts and they're passing them off as something is good. And God just says, you know what? I mean, even though you're bringing something, I know your heart. But he said, you're not even trying to mask it because you could bring something that would even fake showing me, you know, uh, a true sacrifice. But you've gotten to the point where, like, you're not even offering me what I've required through my law. You're offering these deficient sacrifices. And he rebukes them for it. He says, you know, try passing that off to your governor. You know, would your governor uh, accept these things? If your governor wouldn't accept it, you know, how much more your God, how much more your mighty king. And that's how he ends verse 14. He says, I am a great king, says the Lord, and my name will be feared among the nations. And so we get to chapter 2, and so he rebukes specifically the priests, um, and, and he's going to lay out some consequences for them. I think, you know, I mean, even, you know, sometimes it's hard when you, when you go through the prophets, sometimes you're like, and, and it's hard sometimes when you go through the Old Testament. Like, how do, how do we relate, like, the Israelites to the church? I mean, is there a direct correlation? And, and how do we relate to the Israelites who didn't have necessarily, you know, they didn't have the Spirit of God resting in them as, as um, you know, as boldly as it's been declared for those who have Jesus Christ? People were getting judged. There was always a remnant of, of those who followed Jesus. But Israelite was looked at as a nation, and they would get judged if your neighbor down the street was worshiping the idols, guess what? You pay the consequences for it. Um, it's not really spoken so much in the church, and, but in the church, I mean, we see the same consequences. Although in the New Testament, we get a picture more of like, you know, we get almost like this individualized concept of, you know, our faith. Like our faith is something that just affects us and not necessarily our neighbor. But we know that's not necessarily true, right? We know that that things that, even in a church, that we're affected um, even by the sins of our neighbor, although we don't see those consequences, you know, played out directly in our lives. We see that those things breed an unhealthy church. We see that if the leadership is not right with God, that that will trickle down and that will affect the church at large. Um, so it's a little different when we look at at the prophets, and we look at you know what what who they were speaking to because it's it was a different time and it was speaking to a nation and not a church. But we do see some some uh, some correlations that we can kind of pick up. But you have to kind of look for those things, right? You also we don't have uh, we don't have priests you know that make sacrifices on on our behalf. I mean we don't have this ritual that we go through every week that was God's way of atoning for our sins. And so in some sense, like they had they had a uh, um, 
They had a much more complex system and rules and regulations that they had to follow. And so that's for, for our benefit that Christ did it all and paid it all. And so as we go through the prophets, we kind of have to like think, like, what are some of the, the, uh, the connections that we can make to us today? Because the, the, the opposite end is that you read through the prophecy and just say, it's just for them. It was just for, you know, those people at that time, and it doesn't really affect me at all. But I think especially as we look through these issues, we can see kind of a lot of correlations, especially as we look at, like, you know, our nation. Um, and I'm not going to make the connection that America and Israel is the same, but we see the connection of poor leadership uh, is going to affect us, right? Is going to affect the people. Thank the Lord uh, our leadership is not... Um, our means of spiritual salvation, if you want to put it in those terms, like it was a much greater emphasis in the Old Testament. You know, thank God for that, that the Lord has provided a way through Jesus Christ that we can uh, have direct access to Him. But that's just kind of the, the thoughts as, as, you know, we enter into what Malachi, you know, is going to say, really speaking for the Lord, being His messenger and talking to the people. And so in chapter 2, we read, And now, O priests, this command is for you. And so he's he's already kind of like speaking to the priests already with like their sacrifices, although the people are the ones who bring the sacrifice as well. So when you think like the priests are offering bad sacrifices, well, they didn't just go tell somebody like, well, bring whatever. It was the people that brought the sacrifices. The priests were complicit in allowing those sacrifices to be made, but it was the people that were like, you know, I'm just going to bring whatever I want. And so it's really a rebuke on the nation. But he, you know, in, in, the, in the end of chapter 1, he was like, I wish one of you guys would just stand up and say, like, listen, you can't bring these sacrifices in. This is not how we're going to do it. But the whole system was corrupt. And so now he's like, priests, this is, this is like, this is what you need to think about. This is how you're involved. This is how you're related. This is how you need to, you know, pretty much step up to the role and responsibility that you have. So speaking of the roles and responsibility of priests, what, what were some of those? As best as you would understand, you know, kind of, I kind of touched on a couple of these, but what are some of the things that the priests were required to do? Okay, so they were to sacrifice the animals, right? The people brought the sacrifices and the sacrifices were made by the priests. Okay, great. That's a chief duty. That's often probably what we think. But they had other duties, too. What other things do they have to do? Okay, they were to teach the law to the people. So it's their responsibility to uh, take care of that. Um, some, of the re- you know, some people might, you know, uh, well, do you know why that was the case? Okay. Yep, good. So they didn't have their own copy of the law. Would you, you know where the law was kept? Indiana Jones fans? Where was the, where was the, uh, the Ark, yeah. So, so it was kept in the Ark, the, the Ten Commandments were, a copy of the law was kept, uh, kept there, and then, you know, the only people that could access that were, were the priests. Um, taking care of the, the Ark and the other elements, what, what other responsibilities did they have? Okay, so they oversaw that, right? They were in the line. What line were they in? 
This will, this, will, this will connect. All right, so they're in the line of Levites. We'll talk about this in a little bit because um, Malachi directly speaks to them. They were supposed to oversee some of those, uh, those elements. Um, they were directly in charge of particular elements of the tabernacle, uh, the ark they were to carry, um, but they're also to oversee the other Levites, kind of, you know, making sure that the tabernacle got carried and torn down. Yep. Were they allowed to actually open the ark? Were they allowed to open the ark? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I don't remember if they were, you know, they carried it, yeah, and they put it in there. Right. Well, the priest could touch the, the ark. Yeah, yeah they, they were allowed that, that responsibility. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I guess, I guess I'm trying to think of, like, if the elements were ever taken out in the Holy of Holies, if they were just left there. Uh, so I think they were just left, left inside. So. Yeah, so you had, the, you had the whole tabernacle, which had, like, the courtyard, and then, like, so say this is the room, and then, like, this set of chairs would be the Holy of Holies, and then you had, like, half of the chairs were... The most, or sorry, the holy place, and then the half of the chairs would be like the most holy place. Yeah, and inside the most holy place would be uh, only where the priests, the high priest, would go. So the priest could only go in the holy place. And so you had you had some other elements. So, um, okay, anything else you guys can think of? Okay, so okay, so they offered prayers and uh, ran kind of you know the offerings, things like that. Uh, made sure they worship the Lord. Um, and so, so we'll talk about some of the other duties as well. So you, got, you have a kind of a, a lot, you know, a lot of responsibilities that fell on the priest's shoulders. Um, what kind of power did the priests have? So they had a lot of responsibilities. What kind of power did they have? Did they have judicial power? They actually did have judicial power. There's a passage that talks about they had judges um, uh, before a king. They had judges. That was kind of the system that was set up, and priests. And whenever there was a, a judicial matter, it was brought before the priest and the judge at that time. So it was, and you know, it, it's not spoken of in detail about how that kind of went about, like if the you know how the judge and the priest kind of interacted. But it says that they were over that that matter. So yes, they did have some judicial oversight. So with that, does that come, is there power in that? Okay. Um, they had, uh, they had, they had um, power over uh, the kings um, in some response because the kings, uh, whenever they assumed duty, they were supposed to write a copy of the law and they had to have it approved by the priests. Um, so there are some aspects that you kind of even saw like a, a checks and balance in a little bit, uh, a little sense, but there aren't many checks on the priests themselves, except what was the check on the priests? Or who was the check on the priests? God, yeah. So, so that's what we have is the prophet coming and saying, this is, this is priests, this is what, what I have for you. Um, and so he says, this is my command for you, O priests. Uh, which, which also, I mean, if you, you know, and kind of thinking about some of these things, you also get kind of a flavor for like when Jesus, like, you know, rebuked 
the Pharisees and kind of the priestly class and the power that they had, um, it became even more political by that time um, because they were answering, you know, also to political forces that uh, overruled them. But they still kept their, uh, you know, try to keep their their positions of clout. Um, And we even see that with uh, Ananias and... uh, Annas and, oh, sorry, and, and Caiaphas and, and uh, all that. Um, so in verse 2, says, this is my command. In verse 2, he says, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Okay, remember in, in chapter 1, and we talked about this during the sermon, that God's name was something that was important. Really, like, God's name was who he, he was. I mean, if you said, like, well, what about these people who worship, you know, what about Allah, or what about, you know, if you, like, named out all these different gods, you know, Hindu gods or Buddhist, you know, uh, spirits or things like that, you know, where does Yahweh, where does the Lord kind of fit in? And, and during that time, all these pagan nations, the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and, you know, those that were kind of the dominant power in those stages when they were in captivity, they would have all had their gods that they would have, would have revered and worshipped. And so where does the, the God of the Jews, the Israelites, you know, stand out? And he says, it stands out because you are my people and you bear my name. And so you are the one who reflects who I am. And so he says, if you're not going to give, if you're not taking it to heart and give honor to my name, right, then this is, what, this is what's going to happen, right? I'm going to curse you. And uh, so I have to ask, what does it mean that God will bless or God will curse their blessings, what do you think it means that God will curse their blessings? Okay. Okay. Uh, definitely, I think definitely they, they, you know, the people, and we see that even in Jesus' time, that they, they had just an understanding that if you were wealthy or, you know, you were taken care of, that you were blessed by God. And, and there were often times that we saw that. I mean, you remember Job's suffering, like he lost all the things and then God blessed him doubly. And so, like, so what's the end result? Well, God, you know, he was seen as blessed because of what God did for him. Abraham, all, you know, all the patriarchs seem to have this financial success, and so, and sometimes their minds, they equated you being blessed with you being wealthy. So that could be true. That could be true. The curse, I view it kind of as a curse on the people. Okay. When they bless, you know, the priest, I'm not a great Catholic, but I have a hard time getting that out of my mind. But okay. When they, I guess they bless or, or pray for the people, or put their bless, the priest put their blessing on the people, and God takes that away. Okay. Okay. Everything goes wrong for the people and for the priests. Okay. Yeah, I mean, when they came to the priests, I mean, really, the priests, like, their, their role was to, you know, bless the sacrifices and to do the sacrifices. And the things that the, the people brought, you know, all of those activities were ways that God would, that people, the people and the priests would show their obedience. And so God said, if you are obedient, then I will bless you. And so the things that look like they were blessings from the priests... Uh, the things that were, you know, and I, I wouldn't say what your that mindset that you go to that like let me bless you, you know, of of uh, you know putting just in that act it kind of was an idea. Especially I was I was raised Catholic as well. Just you know having that blessing upon you, there was something like 
I don't know, spiritually positive that you felt just in that act alone. Um, and so the people would have felt the same way, that these priests you know, are taking my sacrifice and what I'm doing is going to be looked at as obedience in God's eyes. Before they were uh, taken away in captivity, you know, God has spoken about this issue several times. And one of my, you know, uh, one of my passages that, that I go to a lot when, I, when we kind of look through the rebukes of God is Isaiah 1. So if you want to turn there, Isaiah 1, or you just can listen, um, verse 11. You know, chapter 1, he starts off in Isaiah and just levels them and says, like, hmm, I'm kind of tired of the way you guys are acting. And so, and if you, if you don't get it together, I'm going to take you away. In Malachi, we get something similar, but this is after that he had already done this. And so verse 11, he says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? He says, I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. I mean, so it's the idea of like, they were doing all these things. It's not like they like stopped doing them. They did it faithfully. But he's like, I I can't take it because you're doing it, but you're doing it not in the way that I approve. Verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me and I'm weary weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before, from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. I mean, there's plenty of like things that we could go into with that. But he just really says, like, you know, you're, you're, you're going through the motions here. But there are so many things in the, in the rest of your life that do not reflect like the fact that if you really truly worship me and you really saw your sin and you really wanted to be made right with me, then I would see it outflow in all of the things that you do with others. And so he says, indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Chapter, verse 3, behold, I will rebuke your offspring. And spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So it's our adversary back in uh, Malachi. He says, I will rebuke rebuke your offspring. Man, this is like, these are some harsh harsh words. Like, like, God, can you say that? I mean, it's like almost like, you know. And so, but what does it mean? He says, I will rebuke your offspring. Okay, the, you know, the... Those that, uh, and, and really the idea is, is your seed. Like the consequences that you have right now, like are falling on even your children. And that makes sense. I mean, you can go to, and uh, I don't know if we will, but um, you can go to 1 Samuel 2. Uh, that's another place where you've got this uh, priest Eli. It's in, in 1 Samuel, and you have Samuel, and uh, you've got. You know, right in chapter one, the story of Samuel's mom, who was uh, barren, and she cries out to the Lord, "I will dedicate my son, you know, to to you if you will just give me a child." And the Lord blesses her and gives gives her a child, and so she gives him over to Eli, who was the priest at that time. And Eli's sons are terrible, wicked people, and you see that in chapter two. 
But because of Eli's poor uh, fathering and poor management, that God rebukes Eli, and in his family line, that they will all be cursed because of Eli's neglect for how they should act. It's not just that he's a bad parent, but he's a bad priestly parent, and that uh, his sons, who were priests as well, were really taking advantage of the situation. And so, one, so you get that idea is that your offspring, you know, I, I, won't, I won't allow them to be faithful because of your unfaithfulness. Know that your consequences are affecting your kids down the line. How are the priests, you know, how the priests come into power? It's not like they were elected to office. Uh, you know, it was by birth and by birthright. And that's the way that the Lord had it. And so their consequences are affecting them down the line. He says, and, and spread dung on your faces. So like now this is like the things that are affecting you. And when you see this, dung on your faces, that would be something that would make them unclean. It was, it was important. This idea of purity and cleanliness was something that like the priests had to go through these rituals to wash themselves, to um, wear certain clothing and garments. Uh, they had to uh, sprinkle blood um, on the altar, and they had to take the blood and put it behind their ears. And so there was this whole process of just purifying themselves and making them unclean. And so you just think, you know, I mean, you get that idea of like you just come out of the shower and then like, we'll set it dung. You can think of like, if you want to think of that, you know, like someone just throws mud on you, right? You got to go through the whole process again. Like you can't, you can't even get through step one. You can't even get to the making of the sacrifice for the people because you yourself are dirty. And so, what's the dirtiest way that you can think of? God says, "I will put dung on your faces." Man, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty pretty bold. And the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. And the idea there is that um, when an offering was made. Uh, all of the stuff that was, you know, kind of left over, and even like the, basically the, the parts that weren't used, were taken outside of the camp. And they were taken outside of the camp to the place where people would use the bathroom outside of the camp. Like God's holiness could not be within the perimeters of the camp, so you took all of these things out. And he says, I'm taking you there, and essentially, you are trash to me. I mean, like, you are our leaders, but I look at you as trash. And I, you just you go outside in the camp where all the people go and they do their business and all the stuff that is no longer you know appropriate for me just gets taken out there, and so that's the rebuke and that's the indictment and so it's like that sting, you know, like God is saying like the things that you're doing like that is how I see those actions, those actions. So that's that's like that's you know, I mean that's that's scalding, uh, that's. It's, you know, piercing indictment. But does that rebuke mean that God has abandoned his people? What's that? No. No. Right? You know, I mean, and we say thank the Lord because there are times in our lives where, like, we feel, you know, God gives us that conviction. And we're like, why are we acting like this? And, like, why, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, sometimes, like, maybe we see our sin as just that. It's like, and if you ever want to get those pictures of, like, how God sees our sin, he sees it as this. And sometimes that sin can bring us low, and we can just say, like, well, then we're just, you know, maybe we should just get tossed outside the camp. Maybe that's, like, you know, where I should be. But God's like, no, 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 no. That's not the point. The point is, you need to see that clearly. You need to understand that, yes, I do, I do have a problem with that. You should have a problem with that because I have redeemed you, right? 
And therefore, this is not to like bring you low and keep you there. It's to bring you low so then I can lift you back up. And so then you can now be in a proper place where you're like, you know, I now have a responsibility that I can take before the Lord. And so he's not abandoned his people totally. He's not abandoned his priests, but he's saying, if you go down this line, like this is, this is what's, where it is going. You know, you continue down this trajectory and it will be, you know, you know, this will be the end for you. Uh, what verses do you guys think of when you think of like the Lord's rebuke? Yeah. For the purpose of not casting us out to the down pile, but to make us pure so we can be in the holy. Can you read those two verses, five and six from chapter twelve? Because that's exactly where I went too, right? You know, because sometimes we think the Lord is disciplining us. That means he's, you know, he's displeased. Yes, but displeased means like, therefore he's abandoned me. No, 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 not at all. Okay. And what was the purpose of that discipline? The purpose was to cause you to be holy. Yeah, and so and Hebrews is a great book as you read through some of these. Uh, when you talk about the, the priests, I mean, if you're going to read Hebrews, you might as well read Leviticus and Numbers uh, and maybe even Deuteronomy. Well, actually, you're going to start with Exodus. Exodus 20 through end of Deuteronomy. So, which are usually like the tough, tough parts of, the, of Scripture because it's all these laws and rituals and things like that. But then you start seeing the picture of, of you know, the commands that God had for, for his priests. But the Hebrews kind of touches on all of those things um, and really exalts Jesus as being that high priest. And so, so no, the Lord had, essentially, see, he's like, I, I love you. And the reason that you know that is I'm here. I'm speaking to you. Otherwise... We wouldn't have this conversation, and I would let you continue, and then I would judge you, and then that would be bad. But I'm here. I've sent my prophet. I've sent my messenger to come and rebuke you, and no, I have not abandoned you. In verse 4, he says just that in Malachi. He says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. Right? He's like, you know, you are a Levite. And, and my covenant with Levi has, has withstood. He says, My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him. And it was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. So, who is the covenant of Levi to? You might like scratch your head and say, like, I don't remember a covenant of Levi. And if you like are thinking about Levi, one of the sons of Jacob, you're like, he did some kind of rascally things. Um, I, you know, if you're unfamiliar, there was like one incident where there was like his his, uh, his one of his sisters was um, was essentially raped by another tribe, and but the the man who did that said, I want to marry her, and so they said. You know, and they were like burning with vengeance, and they said, "Okay, we'll let you become part of our tribe. You guys just—we have this custom of circumcision. You need to circumcise your people." 
And so if you want to read that, so I think it's in Genesis like 38. Anyway, I'll give you, I'll tell you what happens. But basically, they all <laughs> circumcise themselves. He and his brother, I can't remember, Levi and somebody else. Um, and uh, I can't remember that. Was it? Yeah, yeah, I was just trying to think of, of who, the, who the brother was. Because the, the brother, was, the other brother was kind of the lead on this. But anyway, yeah, while they were healing from the circumcision, they went in and killed them all. And so it was like, hmm, was that a covenant? <laughs> like, did I skip somewhere? So, so when he's talking about the covenant with Levi, um, that it's, uh, it's really, who are, who's this to? I mean, he's speaking in terms of the tribe of Levi. I made this covenant of Levi, and, and who were the Levites? What, did, what were they in charge of? What's that? All the, were all the priests were Levites, but all the Levites were what? Well, they were all Israelites, but what were all the, Isra- the Levites responsible for? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they were the ones who, who were the temple workers, and the priests were a family line. Aaron and Moses were in the Levite tribe. And Aaron was the one whom the priests were going to come through. And if you want to think of, like, God's grace, I mean, sometimes we look at, at Moses as that. As I think of Aaron, how many times does that guy mess up? And sometimes other people pay the consequence for his sins. But God said, I made a covenant with Aaron. And I said, you know what? Through Aaron, his line will be the priestly class. And so that's what he did. So uh, out of all the Levites, through this one line were the priests, those that would do the sacrifices, but everyone that set up the tabernacle and, you know, made sure the candles were lit and, you know, had everything set up, that was the Levites. And so that was their responsibilities. They were to kind of oversee, you know, uh, worship there. And so he made a covenant with Levi. And, and he kind of speaks of this time in the past where, you know, they upheld all of my, you know, they, they understood who I was. And there was this covenant of fear, right, that they understood me and that I, I am a God who can give consequences, and I am a God who uh, will do what he says. Like early on in that time, you know, you saw usually like direct correlation with disobedience. Um, you know, there are times in our lives that we were like, you know, if we sin, you know, you sometimes get that picture of the atheist shaking his hand saying like, there is no God. See, he didn't strike me dead. There is no God right there. But uh, in the time of like, uh, Leviticus and, and Numbers in the early time of the early generation, as they were bringing, as he was bringing them to the Promised Land, they shook their fists at God, and fiery snakes came, or the earth opened up and consumed them, or fire rained down, or you know. So there was like direct correlations that we saw, and so God's fear was like manifest, <laughs> like right there, which is another picture that some people will still disobey, even though God is right there in their midst and they can see it. But with Levi, they understood. God's grace. I must hit touch the nerve because everyone's fleeing. So, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just... Thirty-four. Simeon. Okay. So, did someone say Simeon? I thought I heard Simeon, but maybe I heard my subconscious tell me that. So, all right. Uh, so he says that was my covenant with them, and and he basically just says that you feared me. That that when the priests feared me, and there were different examples of priests rising up. One one uh, well-known priest was named Phineas, and Phineas. There was times where, uh, well, even after the golden calf incident, Moses like got with the Levites and said, "Listen, those that are rebellious, that we need to do away with them." And they went and they actually like the priests were the ones who killed. And, uh, killed the, the, the rebels that were in the camp that kind of stirred up this idolatry. And then this one priest is named Phineas. Uh, you see like an instance of like sin being just flagrantly, you know, 
spread within the camp and uh, no one's doing anything and Phineas like goes and executes somebody that's like flagrant about it. And so some hard stories, hard things, but God says, you know what? You're doing exactly, you're, you're taking, you know, they're not, they're not fearing me. And this is something that they need to understand. And so when they, when we see that, he says, what was the result? Is that then I, I walked with them, right? He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. And so um, that there was peace for them, but that also that they had then a result of they took a stand for God, people took them seriously, and they had then the, a blessing and ability to turn people from iniquity, turn people from sin. So, all right, I think I, I, think I thought when you said that that clock was five minutes. Did you say slow or fast? Slow. All right, I see, slow. So we're five minutes. All right, so we'll... Uh, so we'll, we'll bring it, we'll it kind of to a, to a wrap-up point. So uh, verse 7, the lips of the priest should guard knowledge. So this is what the priests were also to do. They should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You know, priests were held to a higher standard. They were the ones who knew the law more than most people. And as such, like people were drawn to them the priests, as their spiritual guide. It wasn't just to make a sacrifice, but it was to know the Lord. And so we see that as a part of who they were. But verse 8 says, But you've turned aside from the way, from that way that I set out for the priests, and those priests that were blessed and revered, were, that were revered were the ones who feared me and who did exactly what I asked. But he says, You've turned aside from the way, and you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You haven't like turn people from iniquity, you've actually turned them further into iniquity. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. What do you think it means to show partiality in instruction? Okay, yeah, and sometimes it was for their sake, and sometimes it was for the people's sake, right, that they bent the rules, and one of the rules they bent was bringing in a deficient sacrifice. We're going to see some of the other rules that they bent in in showing partiality and instruction, like, yeah, you can obey this, but you don't have to obey that. You know, it's kind of, you know, this verse is, is one of those verses where we see, like, the whole counsel of God is important and revered. There wasn't like, you know, as long as you kept nine of the Ten Commandments, you're good. Right? God, that wasn't it. It was like, you got to keep them all, or you are on grounds that you need to be made right with God. Right? And so, you don't show partiality with your instruction. And so, the Pharisees did this at times, and you know, Jesus rebuked them. And so, so what, so what can we kind of take away from this teaching? Well, first, you know, we, we got to stop and you ask, like, you know, these priests were doing this. Well, who, who, are, who are the priests today? And we see... Specifically, it laid out that in different places, that God, when he first set up the nation of Israel, he said that I am making you a nation of priests. Like, this was before he actually instituted the priests, because they weren't, you know, they weren't all keeping each other accountable. And so then God says, all right, we need priests to kind of help, you know, make some of these roles and positions. Uh, Things that they would have understood being in Egypt and other nations had priests. And so I'm going to give you these people that will be your spiritual guides. 
And so he instituted the priests. But for us, you know, we are a priesthood of believers, and that's specifically spelled out in Scripture. And so the rebuke that to the, were to the priests could even be rebukes that are to us or just an acknowledgement of, you know, the things that where we have strayed, right? Because we don't, you know, we all have, can all, we can all point people to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not this one, you know, class of people. So God has kind of opened that door to all believers. Secondly, you know, we can recognize ways that we are going through the motions and the ways that they, you know, they were going through the motions, right? Fear and awe of God has diminished, right? And we, you know, plenty of times we can touch, touch on that and where many times we get in our own comfortableness and security and things like that and God kind of awakens us. Uh, sometimes it's through like hurricanes and, you know, these natural disasters where we're like, you know what? You know, even though I feel like I'm in this safe house, there's something much bigger that can destroy all of this. And so sometimes those things that kind of wake us up to the fact that God is out there. Our focus is uh, on externals over internals, right? On the, the worship and the doing and all of those things. You can go read uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, and you can read about Martha and Mary, kind of all of those things and the doing and the, you know, I'm doing these things, right? This is what you, what you want. You know, obedience is seen in the things that I do, right? And he's like, well, sort of. But again, when we looked at Isaiah, he's like, you're doing a lot of things, but your heart, your heart isn't in it. And so you can kind of think about those things. And then see where uh, we complain, right? Where we kind of like, you know, uh, turn our nose up and, and aren't thankful for the things that God has given us. But those are usually areas where we're kind of just going through the motions, going through the motions of trusting the Lord and through uh, through what he's blessed us with. And then know as priests, kind of final final point, know that as priests we carry a responsibility. We carry a responsibility. And, and I just, you know, you probably maybe know an example. I remember when I was a, a young believer, um, I, uh, I had this job where I worked for in a fraternity, and so I went to different places. And so I would hang out with the people, uh, but I would not indulge in what they did, you know. So I would go to places where I would go to a bar with them to get to know them, but I would not drink. And I remember one guy just, as we were talking, he would say, he said something like, you know, maybe someday I could be, you know, where you're at, you know. But it was like kind of like maybe an encouragement to me that the fact that like me just not partaking in what they're doing was like an example for them, you know, that like, uh, and this was this was like completely different. It didn't have anything to do with me as a believer. It just had me to do as like a representative of the organization. And so, but there was something recognized that you carry a responsibility wherever you go. As a believer, we carry the name of Christ wherever we go. And so we have to think about that, just as the priests, you know, had a responsibility. They weren't priests, you know, they had all, you know, just in times of sacrifice, but they were priests at other times as well. Uh, We should know the word, the whole council, so we don't Show partiality in just certain parts and get comfortable in saying, like, well, I'm doing new two, these, these several things and neglecting the other things that maybe, you know, are pricking at our hearts, right? Um, and then turn others away from iniquity. That's, you know, what, what God said, that when, when the Levites were in awe of me, they turned others from iniquity. And so inside the church, maybe it's those that are caught up in sin or maybe going through the motions and we just kind of recognize it ourselves and we can turn them away with loving kind of encouragement and exhortation, right? That's kind of the, kind of the key, not, you know, indictment. God can say these things because they were at a point where they needed a, a wake-up call. The prophet is sent in, 
you are not a prophet, right? <laughs> you are, you are or a loving encouragement. And those that are outside the church, you know, is to lovingly bring the gospel and, and to see that need of a, uh, of a Savior. And so we live that out within our lives. So uh, we're going to continue through Malachi uh, whenever, I forget all the dates, next week you're on. And then after that, so Malachi hits on marriage, he hits on money, he hits on some other hot-button topics uh, that we'll, we'll go through uh, that the Israelites dealt with and that we even see playing out in our culture at large. All right, let me pray and, and uh, we'll close there.